Hey, what's up, everybody? Sean Aiton here, and welcome to the Tips from Crypt Podcast, your place for quick tips about pre-hospital emergency and critical care transport medicine. Welcome to this episode of the Tips from Crypt Podcast. This is episode five. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has been tuning into the show. I've been having so much fun doing this podcast. Uh, in today's episode, I'm going to talk about surgical airways. I'm going to talk about the five lessons that I learned from my first surgical airway. And I want to talk a little bit about this pervasive idea that a surgical airway is actually a failure on the part of the provider. So if you're ready, I want to invite you to sit back, relax, plug in those headphones, and let's get started. So why are we so scared to pick up that scalpel and cut a person's neck? In trying to answer this question, I talked to a lot of paramedics and nurses across the country who had either performed surgical airways or who had not and wished they had. And there are four common reasons that I heard over and over again. The first one is, I didn't think about it. Now, if you're not thinking about it, then you didn't mentally prepare for the possibility that you would have to perform a surgical airway. This wasn't in your repertoire of uh, tools that you had at your uh, at your ready in order to use when managing a patient. And so that comes down to training. The second reason I heard a lot was, I was nervous about cutting the neck because I've been told that it's very easy to cut the carotid arteries and I didn't want to kill my patient. There is some truth to this. There is some risk involved in potentially cutting the person's carotid arteries. But if you practice this over and over again, you become very skilled at the procedure and you know the proper steps to take in order to avoid this potential fatal complication. The third excuse I heard many times was performing a crike is considered a failed airway and I didn't want my partner to think I'm a bad paramedic because I couldn't intubate the patient. This is a poor excuse for not performing a procedure you are trained to do, that you are expected to do, and that can potentially save a person's life. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why I believe this particular notion has persisted and what we need to do in order to overcome this stigma that performing a surgical airway is a failure on the part of the provider. And the fourth excuse I heard a lot was, I was afraid if I screwed up, I'd get in trouble. Now, when I was going through paramedic school in 2001, the amount of training that I received on a surgical airway was scant at best. Uh, maybe we got a little bit of hands-on with a mannequin and, and a scalpel, but for the most part, the, we were taught to use devices like the Pertrake or the Melker Crike Kit in order to perform this surgical airway because it was believed that paramedics were not capable of performing a surgical cricothyrotomy safely. It was believed that these various kits, these various devices could make the procedure safer and quicker for pre-hospital providers. It's my belief that these devices did little but to complicate an otherwise simple procedure and add a layer of confusion to a situation and make more providers feel like this was an overcomplicated procedure when in reality they could use just a simple scalpel and a bougie and get the job done very simply. I've heard many EMS managers say that this is one of those skills that we just don't perform enough in the field, and so how can you possibly keep your skills perfected enough to be able to perform this procedure safely? Well, the truth is the crike is not the only skill that we're expected to perform as paramedics that we don't do that often. When was the last time you converted an unstable SVT on a conscious patient, right? 
We don't do it that often, but it is a skill that we are expected to be able to perform. So just because it's a skill that we don't do a lot, that doesn't mean we can just forego that as an option when we are managing patients in this pre-hospital environment. It just means that we need to practice this skill over and over again until we develop the muscle memory necessary to perform this skill flawlessly when it's appropriate. Okay, so once we have the skills down, once we can perform the intervention blindfolded essentially, then the only challenge that remains is convincing ourselves that now is the time to actually perform this skill and let's do it. It's making the decision to pull out the scalpel and cut the person's neck. And that hurdle can be overcome through mental preparation and through repeated practice on a mannequin so that we can dedicate our mental capacity to deciding to perform the procedure, as well as following the airway algorithms that have been developed to lead us down the proper path to performing the surgical airway when it is appropriate. Over in the show notes at tipsfromcrit.com forward slash 005, you will see I put in there the shock trauma failed airway algorithm. This is the primary algorithm that most departments are using. And this is also the primary airway algorithm that the difficult airway course used in the creation of their manual. In addition to all the other reasons that I've mentioned previously, there seems to be this unspoken belief that if you have to perform a surgical airway on a patient, that you have failed the patient, that your skills at airway management are subpar, that you're an incompetent provider because you couldn't intubate them, and so you had to pull out the knife and perform a surgical airway. This belief, as well as the others I've talked about so far, are the reasons why I decided to record this episode. So here they are, the five lessons I learned from my first surgical airway. Lesson number one, performing a surgical crike is not a failure on your part. It's a failure on the patient's part. Okay, we already talked about this a little bit. You need to understand that the patient has not responded to your therapies. So if you don't perform this procedure it's likely the patient will die. So don't let your patient die just because you were afraid to pull out the the scalpel and use it. When you identify a patient who needs a surgical airway, decide to cut quickly and then move decisively to the surgical airway. Number two, a surgical crike is not as hard as you think it is. Despite what everyone tells you, performing a surgical airway is not a hard procedure. If somebody tells you it is, they've either never actually performed a surgical crike or they tried to use one of those silly devices that's intended to make it safer and easier and it totally failed on them, okay? There's a couple videos that I have linked over in the show notes that show a really easy way to perform a surgical airway with nothing more than a scalpel, a bougie, and a 6.0 tube. You've probably seen these before, but I highly recommend you go back and you review them again. Okay, the takeaway point here is don't allow your brain to make a simple procedure hard, right? Use the equipment that you have in your airway kit already. Once you find yourself in the failed airway algorithm, grab that blade and cut the neck. I always carry a scalpel in my left shoulder pocket because I don't want to have to go hunting for it when I need it. The bougie and the ET tube are probably already out. The scalpel's on my left shoulder along with my Sharpie for marking the neck. So this is how I keep things simple. Okay, the third lesson I learned is that the surgical crike is not as scary as you think it is. 
No aliens are going to jump out of the person's neck when you cut it. There isn't going to be this massive gush of blood, although there probably will be some bleeding. And if you're performing a surgical area on someone who's still trying to breathe, there's a good chance that they'll cough out and spray blood into your face. So make sure you're wearing your proper gear. But there's not going to be this massive flood of blood from the patient's neck as soon as you cut their cricothyroid membrane, okay? The only potential risk you have is if you actually did cut their carotid arteries. And we know how to control that bleeding, right? We use direct pressure. You're taking them to the hospital already. Let the ER doc know what happened. They'll call a vascular surgeon and they'll fix them up. There's also this belief that you might potentially cut through the back of the patient's trachea. There's a video over in the show notes from Rich Levitan where he shows that there's a cartilaginous cage surrounding the cricothyroid membrane. So it's nearly impossible to actually cut through the back of the patient's trachea and perforate their esophagus. So make sure you watch that video. It's a great video. It'll really kind of clarify it in your mind. Now, what can be a bit scary is the scene that you find yourself in when you're having to perform this procedure or the trauma that's actually necessitated this airway or the fact that your patient is probably dying in front of you. But That's what we do, right? We manage patients who are dying. So think of it this way. What's the most probable outcome if you don't perform the the surgical airway? Your patient will die, right? But if you do, your patient may survive. It's just like CPR, right? Is CPR scary? No, it's not. It's not because your patient is already dead. If you were trying to do CPR on a patient who is alive, that might be a little scary because they'd be punching you in the face, screaming at you to stop. Give your patient the best chance to live, pull out the scalpel, cut the neck, place the tube, and breathe for them, okay? Don't hesitate because you feel like this is a failure on your part or a scary procedure. Okay, the fourth lesson that I learned uh, is your peers are not going to think less of you for performing a surgical crike. After I performed my first surgical crike, I got a lot of positive feedback from coworkers. My partners praised me for actually pulling the scalpel out and doing it. Uh, my medical director, who was the ear doc on at the time, praised me for doing the procedure. So many of my peers wanted to talk to me about the call because they had never actually performed the procedure and they wanted to learn from my experience. In the days that followed, I heard from several people who told me stories about not doing a crike and then later regretting it because they felt they hadn't done everything possible for their patient. So just understand that you're not going to be looked down upon because you performed a surgical airway. Grab the scalpel and do it. The fifth lesson is you've got to be mentally ready to perform the surgical crike on every single call. Okay, You don't know what you're going to be walking into when you climb out of that ambulance or when you climb off that helicopter, okay? And as I mentioned before, the hardest part about performing a surgical airway is actually deciding to do it. Once you put aside all those ill-conceived fears about doing a surgical airway, you can finally make the decision and get down to business. We have to realize that performing a surgical airway is not a failure on our part that the procedure isn't that hard, it's not as scary, and our peers aren't going to laugh at us because we actually did it. 
But the time to prepare is not when you're staring at a dying patient in the face, okay? The time to deal with the mental hurdles of deciding to perform this procedure is right now. It's while you are sitting at your desk. It's while you're sitting in your ambulance. It's while you are listening to this podcast. You should be rehearsing in your mind precisely the steps that you're going to take when you find yourself in a position where you have to perform the surgical airway. When you are assessing a patient, what are those findings that are going to lead you down the path to the failed airway algorithm? You need to be thinking about these in your head because you don't have to actually go step by step by step to finally end up at the failed airway algorithm. You can look at a patient and go, I know this person is going to die if I don't do something right now. And you can immediately decide to jump to the surgical airway. But you need to know the steps in between so that in your mind, you can mentally check off each one of those. The patient has no face. They've blown their face off with a shotgun. How am I going to bag this person? They're unconscious, unresponsive. They're bradycardic. They have no blood pressure. They are going to die. And I have no structures. I have no landmarks. I'm going to go straight to the surgical airway. That's an acceptable response. This is a patient who's got third degree circumferential burns of their face, neck, and chest. How on earth am I going to ventilate this patient? You can jump straight to the surgical airway, but you need to know the steps from assessing the patient all the way through to cutting so that you can reliably make the decision to jump to the surgical airway when it is appropriate. Like I said, there's a bunch of resources over in the show notes. I sure hope you'll go check them out. I hope that you find this useful, and I hope the next time you find yourself faced with a patient who is dying in front of you because of a critical airway, you will grab that scalpel, you will cut their neck, and you will potentially save their life. That's all I have for this episode. I want to thank you for tuning in. I sure am having a lot of fun recording these episodes, and I sure hope you're enjoying them. I want to invite you to come on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. That way you'll never miss new episodes of the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like featured on the podcast, head on over to askflightcrit.com, and you can leave me a message right there from your smartphone or computer. Thanks so much, and remember, education is good, but excellence through collaboration is so much better. Fly safe and live well, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Tips from Crit podcast. Bye for now.